0: Welcome to the Dystonia Matters podcast, the official podcast of Dystonia UK, where you will find members of the dystonia community joining me, Dana Ferdinandi, as we settle down for an in-depth look at their journeys to diagnosis, how the dystonia affects their lives on a day-to-day basis, and what the future holds as our guests share their stories and experiences. We hope you enjoy listening. And today's guests are Ryan and Gemma. Now, Ryan and Gemma have a son called Bailey, who is 15 years old. Yeah, that's Lovely. right. And Bailey is the one with dystonia, right? Yes. Perfect. So welcome to the Dystonia UK podcast, both of you. Thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you.
0: Um, so let's start at the beginning. Tell me how old Bailey was when you first started noticing signs that something wasn't quite as it should be. So for Bailey, he got to...
1: About a year old, and we noticed he wasn't meeting any of his milestones. So he wasn't sitting up, he wasn't pulling himself up to stand, and just not doing what my other friends' babies were doing at that time. And it was that time we then went to our GP and said that something is different. What do you think? What do we do? And what did they say? So from there, we were actually told that boys are lazy. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so boys can be lazy, try not to worry too much, but we'll keep an eye on it. And uh, yeah, we had a hospital appointment and we did discuss a few things and originally they cabled him with cerebral palsy, didn't yeah, they? Yeah. And things then progressed from there, really looking into what, what might be the cause of him not meeting any milestones.
0: And how long was it before you got an official diagnosis of dystonia itself? So dystonia itself,
1: uh, he didn't really present with any dystonia until about 2012. Um, We were actually in the hospital having some tests done at Great Ormond Street, ready to have another operation that he needed. And he had what we now know was a dystonic episode. And we were staying in the hotel overnight at the time, ready for the procedure the next morning. And I phoned through to the hospital and they took him into the hospital and they didn't really know what it was, but they said it didn't look like epilepsy. Um, and it, yeah, it was from there that things quite like, become more frequent. And actually when you look back now, videos of Bailey, when he was a lot younger than that, you can see twitchy movements that we never noticed which now we would go, do you know what, I think that's dystonia. There's these twitchy moments in his arms and legs that we never took any notice of, that actually was probably the early signs of the dystonia. And then the dystonia really progressed from there and has escalated fairly quickly.
0: And how old was he in 2012? Six. Six. Okay, so one you started noticing something wasn't quite right. It was more labelled with cerebral palsy because I had um, we had a bit of a nightmare birth with
1: Bailey, he, he wasn't progressing and basically he got stuck and he'd stopped breathing. Oh, bless him. So he had quite a traumatic birth anyway. So they linked it with the birth. But it
2: transpires
1: that... Yeah, it, obviously things, have various tests and everything, it's all worked out this way now, but they just presumed really that was probably the reason. Although he did have, he had some MRI scans that didn't show any profound as they call it scar tissue to the brain so they couldn't categorically say it was definitely the birth Um, but at that time that's what we thought it was yeah but obviously as time's gone on we now know it wasn't that it was a red herring
0: and that's hard for you guys isn't it because that's as a parent I would imagine that you you're trying to figure out there's something going on with your child and you're trying to figure out what that is and it's hard to watch them because they're either in pain or it's just uncomfortable or they're not progressing at the same level as people around them yes how were you guys feeling at that time do you remember
2: it's a bit like a morning really wasn't it
0: yeah you feel strange isn't
2: it your your emotions all the time are just a bit like you're just on on eggshells all the time that's probably the best way that I can really describe it I think um, the other
1: thing is obviously he's our first born. we didn't know any different in a way because he was our first but to experience that with your first it's all this exciting time but it's been overshadowed with concerns and worry yeah. all the time um, yeah, yeah
2: it's just it's very hard to describe how you feel at the time and obviously that time is sort of He's now 15 yeah, now, so it was a long time ago. But those feelings really don't go away, probably like any parent. You then start, your mind goes on overdrive, and you try not to get drawn into the sort of negative sort of thoughts, and you try and remain as positive as you can, but I don't know. you also
1: have those thoughts of did i do something wrong yeah i'm sure every parent has in situations like ours you think did we do something wrong did i pick him up the wrong way or was there something wrong that i did in the pregnancy or you you always have that guilt side which i think a lot experience that yeah we had that for
2: yeah for quite for a long time time.
0: and when he was diagnosed did did that feel like a light bulb moment but did that feel like either a light bulb moment or a weight was lifted or it was you then had a name and you could pinpoint and do research and figure out what your life might look like going forwards
2: there were so many different mixed emotions because when we actually found out that he was actually in a crisis situation that at the time was was full of a lot of mixed emotions at the time we probably actually we didn't really think about kind of the diagnosis sort of side of it it was just getting him out of the crisis that he was in at the time
1: he basically he'd got flu which he had his vaccine i always like to say that but he still caught the flu but the dystonia caught hold of him so badly he went into dystonic crisis and His left lung collapsed, his right lung partially collapsed, he went into renal failure. Yeah, basically, his body was just so exhausted from the dystonia, which was so horrendous to even watch. So, his arms and legs are flying everywhere, he just doesn't get a break. And the medications they were using to help him sort of sleep were given like 15 minutes at a time. So, yeah, so he got popped into an induced coma and just to rest him. But it took him three months to actually be able to actually come home. But it was from that he was diagnosed with gnao one which is a rare and life-threatening condition, more so because of the dystonia side of it. For people that don't know what that is,
0: can you just tell me briefly what it is so that people listening understand?
1: Yeah, so gnao one is a very rare genetic condition. When Bailey was diagnosed in 2019, there was only 150 children worldwide that have it. It presents differently in various children, but the main effects of that are dystonia and epilepsy. Yeah, basically like Bailey is, he doesn't talk, he doesn't walk. He understands everything, he's got great understanding. He has a lot of issues with eating and swallowing. And a lot of those children have had those issues, but some of them can talk and walk. It affects every child very differently.
0: Okay. And so that was when that was 2012, he got diagnosed with that? With dystonia. And
1: 2019 was the GNA01. So when he was really unwell with this flu, he had more genetic testing done. It was a doctor at uh, Great Ormond Street, actually, that said, I think he might have this condition. But when he was younger and he had genetic testing and they couldn't test for this condition because it wasn't even really known. So the genetics that he'd done years ago when he was about three, they couldn't test for that because it wasn't out there. So the dystonia progressed and it got worse and worse each year with each admission. And we were in so many times over a year, every year. It was just constant, wasn't it? whenever he got ill or he was stressed and anxiety that can trigger the dystonia as well infection yeah infections um, so
2: really the period from 2012 to 2019 if we was to use that as a time period the dystonia from the period of 2012 to 2019 got progressively worse routine. year on year and as he was getting older it got progressively worse yeah. year on year and typically In a year, we would have had dystonia crisis periods where we would be in hospital in our local hospital for three, four, five, six weeks at a time. So we'd go in with a dystonic crisis. And by the time that that things had then settled down with a management of medications, that then he would then come home. And then typically then, you know, we'd have another two or three months of respite. And then you'd be back into hospital again with the same situation, same scenario, and this just got progressively worse and worse over that period between two thousand and twelve and two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, the worst period being two thousand and nineteen. We was always we Thanks. was always warned. so from two thousand and twelve, when his neurological consultant at our local hospital said, "Look, I've seen this before. I think I'm pretty certain as to 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 what this condition is. However, because of genetics, there was no way of, and, and I, I think at the time with dystonia, it just wasn't known enough. And I think that's the problem with this, is that, you know, he would go in on a, in that period of 2012 and 2019. And even now, is that if he went in now and he went into A&E, the first thing that a, a consultant or a doctor on, on, on an A&E would say, oh, that's a seizure or that's a fit or yeah. that's something else, they wouldn't be able to spot that quickly. It wouldn't be until they'd gone to neuro and then they'd come and see him and then they'd then start to or for a sequence of conversation then they'd know because obviously of where he is now yeah. but that period from 2012 to 2019 literally we was in hospital three four times over a period of the year and literally yeah. every two or three months he would be in and it would be long spells
1: and even when you go home it can take him weeks at home to then still recover, and he can't have too many things that that stimulate his brain, like watching the telly or using an iPad or something. or just eating, just, just even getting eating, excited eating. about something. Yeah, trying to eat something, bang the dystonia's kicked in where he's trying to concentrate on something.
2: Loud but noises, yeah. motorbike, loud vehicles. So, from a social no. perspective, it's
1: it got really difficult, didn't it? Yeah. But yeah, it was difficult because there just wasn't that knowledge of dystonia out there and trying to explain it to people was, you know, um, luckily our local ward, they got to know Bailey and they got to know in the end. But to start with, as Ryan said, it kept getting labelled as epilepsy. He's done the epilepsy test, it isn't epilepsy, it's dystonia.
2: Well, there was a there was a lady at Gosh and there was a and he's consultant at Broomfield, wasn't it? When the lady at Gosh knew Bailey quite well and Obviously, our local consultant, he knew Bailey really well. And they and it was from there, they would always, when he was in a crisis from the 2012, 2019, it was always, right, OK, we'll get in contact with Belinda and see what she thinks. And
1: You just needed those people in, though, when Bailey yeah. was taken in, which is the problem that we often had, is that when we'd go into hospital with Bailey, we needed his consultant in because otherwise no one really understood what was happening to him. So it was always very difficult.
0: And that's exhausting for you guys, isn't it? It's one thing dealing with your child who is very poorly, but then to have to explain time and time again what's going on.
1: Over and over, yeah. yeah, And trying to get them to understand it. This this has been the biggest thing with dystonia, is that, yeah, trying to actually get them to understand... You know, we've had times where they've put him in a bay of where there's three or four children that are unwell, which children get upset when they're unwell, we completely understand, but that would trigger his dystonia. So it's, you now he really needs to be in a dark room to help his body settle and calm. He can't be in that sort of environment. And we had that battle. Mm a lot if his consultant wasn't in. And these
2: are not just shakes and tremors, they are violent to the point where he's as his yeah. face and ears. Black and eyes and
1: nose le-
2: legs. And... are flying all over the place.
1: Yeah.
2: It's a workout when you're fully awake and the problem is that you can't stop your body. Then you then get frustrated but when you know that you're doing it, if you was unconscious and you were doing it, but to be fully conscious and be like that and to sit there and just watch whether it's a yeah. child or an adult but particularly a child to sit there and actually be their bed by their bedside and be completely helpless it's yeah, yeah. it's it's been
0: we've grumbled a few times <laughs> yeah oh understandably like you you yeah. try not to but
1: you do get to that point where you think is it going to end Benzie you going to get some let up and some rest and watching him like Ryan said him being frustrated with himself because he can't
0: stop what he's doing and you said he's nonverbal, right? Nonverbal, yeah, yeah. Were there ways then that he, I mean, there must have been ways he communicates with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a sense of, and I don't even know how to phrase this question, but did you have a sense of how he was feeling and how he was coping, if you like?
1: Yeah, he we obviously understand him because we're his parents, aren't we? Yeah. But he, he verbalises in his own way a yes and a no. He does have an iPad, which he uses to talk with. Obviously, he can't use that when he's unwell. But he has a specific sound for a yes and a specific sound that he makes for a no. And um, he looks at you, you know, you can
0: see it in his eye. Yeah. God, it's heartbreaking. And, and nothing that the problem is there's nothing that you guys can do. So that helplessness of... Of not being able to help your child must have just yeah gives me chills
2: yeah there were times where even some of the medication that he's on now but I can remember back from that where you know some of the medication that would be on they use these drugs in crisis situations where people would actually get a fair bit of sleep and a bit of rest the problem for Bailey is that as time progressed is that his body became immune to it. So he built up an immunity to these supposedly drugs that most of us would probably fall asleep in an instant and we are probably be out for about a few hours. And literally it would give him like 15 minutes, half an hour respite. And and then he'd be back flying around the bed again. As opposed to normally what they would normally do is probably give you three or four hours at least redspite nice. where your brain's then starting to... yeah but Yeah, there's been, I mean, you know, and then you then have medications where they can't give certain amount because it then gives you renal failure so then you Mm -hmm. then start building up and then you can't go to the loon it affects your breathing it affects your heart rate it affects your what they call the ck levels which is basically is your body that's breaking down muscle so as you're thrashing around you're moving around is that your body then is doing a workout so it's breaking down the muscle and then the medication that he's on is supposed to suppress all of that so there's just so many different variables to it it's just yeah it was yeah. it was a it was an awful it was an awful period of, of yeah. time that we're always on eggshells even now and I don't think we ever won't not be on eggshells but not so much now but at that, that time we would always be thinking when's the next time we're actually going to be in hospital and we're going to go away but
0: And just before we move on to what happened post-2019, because that seems to be a very definite date for you guys, schooling-wise, was Bailey able to go
1: to school? He probably spent more time out of school than he did in Mm. school. Every time he had a really bad spell of dystonia, we had to start again with breaking him into school. So I'd have to drive him in and... Give him an hour, and I'd just wait at the school, and then we'd go home, and gradually build up to a day. And most of the time, he'd he would have gone back done that, and then would have gone to half days, three days a week. And you just have to build that up. But then you get to the point where you build it up back to full time, and then bang, we were back.
2: Originally, he went to mainstream primary school, and then that was probably around the time around the two thousand and twelve time, and then one of the one of the teachers actually said, look. I really think that Bailey needs to go into more special needs schooling and then we was then on a on a different sort of path so he I think around that 2012 2013 time where he went from mainstream into a special needs school environment they say things happen for a reason and that happened for a reason because he wouldn't have been able to have cope with normal mainstream school but but yeah he didn't really spend any real length of time at school because mm. He'd be in for a couple of three months and then he'd be out again. For he a never did a full
1: months. term. Yeah, that no. Way. <laughs> no okay. Not to the end of term, we would be like, Don't say anything, that don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he yeah, he's probably spent he's probably spent more time out of school than in, but yeah.
2: The, the triggers came from nowhere. in the main, he used to get tonsillitis a lot, didn't he?
1: That was the main trigger. And thing. that was the
2: main that was the main trigger. So again, if we see spots in his throat. It'd be like quick when you get down to the doctors Before and quick you want to kicks in.
0: And during that period, did you guys ever get a break? Were you able? Was there anyone around that could help? No. No. Not really, was there?
2: My mum and dad live around the corner and they, they were, they were helpful. was helpful as what they could be. Jem's parents, they live in Scotland. We was in a real sort of pickle then. They came down and helped us. But in terms of there and then at, at the time, it was, um, it was yeah, it was pretty much so we, sort oh, of...
1: We've got other children as well. So yeah. uh, in 2010, we had our, our daughter. So she, she was only two when Bailey started to progress with this dystonia, really. Mm. So it was very difficult leaving her and... Sometimes she ended up going to Scotland to stay with my parents, but it would have to be for like six weeks at a time because focus on Bailey. But there was no, there was not really any sort of solid
0: help from that. It had to be in a desperation level of we we really need to do something now. No, I can imagine, because you run your own business, don't you?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's got to be so tough trying to manage that plus Bailey, plus Miley. Lois that came along in 2015. And how does Lois and Miley interact with Bailey?
1: Because obviously they've never known any different. Never known any different. Um, Miley and Bailey's relationship in particular is, they're very close. Oh, that's rock
2: solid. It's it,
1: it, it, Even now, sometimes if Bailey won't do something for us, all right, we're going to get Miley then. And yeah, yeah she'll sort him out. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Sometimes if he's upset, all he wants is Miley. Um, they she had to grow up, up
2: very quick. There was... She probably missed out on quite a lot of childhood of what most children would enjoy. Yeah. Whether it was half term holidays, Doing obviously when we're in a situation where we're in hospital with Bailey, she's missed out on a lot of, a lot of things for out get of her use. childhood. So that's yeah. a very quickly getting that. used
1: to sort of mummy and daddy not always being around all the time, and it, she didn't come sort of first. It it is horrible, isn't it? Because yeah. it makes you feel guilty and bad that all the focus. Folk- on your other child, but both of them actually—they adore him. They they get on really well. So that that mother hens, I think, is a way to
0: describe them. Oh, I can imagine.
1: And they just get him. They understand him. They know what he wants when he wants. And they're very helpful. Always happy to help with things at home if you
0: hand, getting bits and bobs for him when you're dressing him or whatever. So, yeah, they're very good. And you said Miley had to grow up quick. You didn't mention Bubba. Do you think that? It was slightly different by the time she came along.
2: I think because of Miley's age, there's what five, four and a half, five years between the two of them. So Lois has obviously had Miley to be a shoulder to cry on and have that sort of bond and relationship. Whereas Miley's and Bailey's was they were that was a bond that was completely different for all the reasons, you know. So um so yeah, she's had to adapt quite quickly. Yeah, but she's, she has. But because she's... because of Miley being the middle sibling, I think that's very much helped, helped Lois for sure, is not yeah, it? Yeah,
1: because she's, she's had the big sister to be there as well. So I think they, both of them have yeah have had to grow up yeah. fast. But for Lois, More so Miley, but yeah. Yeah, but for Lois, she's had Miley there. It's very difficult to explain, but Miley, it was just Miley and Bailey. So Lois has had someone else to... She's had Miley to share that with, you, with concerns for Bailey and what have you.
2: And if there were spells where we was in hospital, it's when you've got your sister they around had each you, other. they had each other around her. Whereas for Miley, she didn't have anyone around her. So she was very much isolated on her own, which was in part why we decided that we wanted to have a third child, because we knew that Miley would be quite isolated in a world where, you know, the centre... Well, it still is. The centre is everything that we do day to day, hour by hour. is all about Bailey. But to integrate then, when you bring another child into that environment, actually, that actually helps both the middle sibling and the younger one.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. As opposed to Miley would just be, the focus would always be on Bailey and she would be like almost on her own, but not on her own because she's got a sister. Yeah. And so.
0: No, that makes sense.
2: Some people might have thought we were nuts to probably have a third yeah. child, but actually, in our mind, we we thought that actually there was some logic behind
0: company behind it. So, two thousand nineteen, we've talked about that a lot. What happened in two thousand nineteen that changed, sort of, that brought you out of that period of what six, seven years? It's a massive year for us. So, we got this diagnosis of GNAO one. That was following the crisis. Following the crisis, we did this genetic testing. And you said it was genetic, didn't you? Genetic. Okay. And
1: once we got confirmation that Bailey had this condition, they referred him to the Evelina and because they know more about this condition. And they instantly said, because he has this condition and there is a surgery that, that could really change his life, we had scouted around and talked about this surgery in the past, but because they thought he had cerebral palsy, the success rate for the DBS surgery was not as high. But because he's got GNA01, the success rate for the DBS surgery is higher. So they said, look, we've got something that can help you. So at that point, we were like, oh my goodness, yes. <laughs>
0: And obviously, we all call it DBS because everyone in the community knows what we're talking about. But it's deep brain stimulation, sir. And you you hear the words deep brain surgery in, in any way. What thoughts went through your head at that point? Was it he's got to the point that he's so bad that anything that could possibly help would take Or is it it's brain surgery? And actually, we need to be thinking about this a little bit more.
2: We didn't even give it a second thought. I I think because of his life and his health and the family as well, with the dystonia that had been so bad to that point, if there was a lifeline here, then we was going to grab every opportunity for it. Yes, we thought about scary brain surgery, my words, I think that would scare the life out of anyone. But we tried to not Go let ourselves get drawn into that. It was more trying to see the other side of it.
1: I think as well because Bailey had got progressively worse over the years with the dystonia, and we had this horrific point in two thousand nineteen, and we nearly lost him. You think, God, can it get any worse than that? It can get worse than that. And we don't want to go there. No. As close as we want to be. And if we've got a chance of helping him and stopping him or a chance of stopping that from happening again, then we really need to consider it. And it was just putting your faith in what the doctors are saying to you and trusting them really, isn't it?
2: There was no hesitation that we was on board straight away, that it was... I think we was probably at that point where, as Jem said, when you're in a room and literally is hanging on by a thread, to then get to that point that then someone's now thrown you a lifeline, it's, we don't want to be back there ever again. So there, there wasn't really much to think about, really, other than, yes, the procedure, the surgery itself and what they do and all the rest of it, which is quite incredible, really. But yeah, yeah. so yeah, there wasn't. Hardly
0: anything. So just to explain to the people that are listening, the DBS surgery is they make an incision in the brain and you've got wires then that they'll bring from the brain down through, in adults it's to the chest area and to Bubbies it actually sits in the tummy. So is Bailey's in his chest or in his tummy? And it's in his tummy. So he's got,
1: we call it the McDonald's stamp at the front of his head. And so that's where the electrodes are put in up there. And then it's down through the neck Down into the chest, small incision on the chest where they're they're sort of um, connected, I think, there.
2: Figure wise.
1: And then down into his stomach, down there, that, and then the battery packs
0: inserted there. And there's a couple of different options that people have. So you can either have a battery that then gets changed after a number of years. Or you can have a recharge. Which one does Bailey have? We charge Bailey's. We, we actually never got an option, did we? I don't, oh, don't
1: remember talking so. about an option. But basically, we charge Bailey every night. Right.
0: Excellent. Does he feel a bit like a superhero at that point? Oh,
1: yeah. He's, we call him Bionic Bailey. But he's. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we charge him up every night. And I understand that this battery should last uh, around 15 years. And it may need changing at that point. Yeah. But yeah, we just charge him
0: up every night and that's that, isn't it? Yeah. So what was your goal for that? So obviously, other than to get him out of crisis, when we talk about the surgery, often we talk about it in conjunction with very manageable goals, because it isn't a cure for dystonia. It's not suddenly going to take your child from being non nonverbal, non-able to do anything to suddenly presenting like every other child would. So what was a win for you? What was your goal?
1: I think the goals for us were to reduce the amount of hospital stays we were having, to reduce the amount of crisis points we were getting to, and actually to help us as a family be able to go out and go places where we weren't worried about something upsetting him or like a loud noise that upset him and threw him into a state of dystonia and going to different places as a family where we weren't worried that oh, we can't go there because that's really loud there and that might cause the dystonia and then once he's in a dystonic status to get him out of that is so hard isn't yeah, it yeah. so hard so we got to the point really we weren't doing anything as a family
2: well it's hard to the point where there is once you're in it you're in it for days weeks it's not just that you're dipping in and out of it Mm -hmm. and I think this is what a lot of people don't understand is that once you're in it you're in it and it accelerates so quickly. It's the whole to 60 in three seconds, and that's it, you're in it now, and you're at a point of no return.
1: For Bailey, it was never... He'd been... The dystonia would start, but it might go away later. For Bailey, once the dystonia had started, you're in the long haul, so...
2: The other other goal was trying to... I mean, he's on some really immense high levels of medication and it's frequent every 2 hours so medication at midnight for it was midnight to 4am 6am 8am so it was medication administered throughout the whole night so which has now been weaned back to 12am 4am 6am 8am so sorry. there is a bit of a gap between midnight and 4am but for us really it was to try and wean him back off of some of these Strong sedative type drugs, neurological type drugs that hopefully then we could then start to see whether there might be a change in him because the more drugs you throw inside you, that does what it's supposed to do but there are side effects to that as well so it was trying to see if we could get him at a different balance to where it was pre-surgery as well so that was another goal yeah. but in the main. I don't think this is selfish at all, but it was really just to get some sort of life back into our family because it didn't feel like life for the period of 2012, 2019 because life was pretty much spending more time in hospitals than it was actually going and enjoying just the basics of being out, to take the kids up the park. It was just, it was a bit like, I guess... A lot of people, and us included, going back to the pandemic when we was all stuck indoors and not going anywhere and we'd all moan and groan about, I can't do this and can't do that. For us, our life has pretty much been like that since 2012, where our life has been pretty much centred around home or hospital and not really much in between. Holidays, zero, going to do things like day trips out with the kids, virtually non-existent because we're we was always conscious of what if and the what if would end up being we're then in hospital for a period of time so life was on pretty much on pause for that whole period of time. Well, it's
0: like you said it's not even because some dystonic storms don't last months it can be hours but that's not Bailey's reality no. No. And I think that's part of the problem with dystonia, actually, whether it's in child or adults, it presents so differently in everybody. We talked about awareness briefly and how there needs to be more awareness, both within the medical community, but I think within the community in general. But the problem with that is unlike, and I say this a lot on the podcast, if you have some of the bigger conditions, and please God, no one does, You most people know someone that has, for instance, has had cancer, or they know someone that has. Yeah. So when you say to someone, This is happening in my life, or to a family member, it doesn't have to be to you, they can picture that journey. Yeah. Whether it's chemo or radio or an operation, they have an understanding of what's going to happen to you next and therefore make allowances for that. When you say to someone, I or a family member have dystonia, they don't know the word let alone what that journey might look like, and then add in the fact that actually that journey looks so different for everybody that has the condition. That's really tough because not only now are you explaining to the medical community when you're having to go in hospital, but also to friends, and I would imagine family as well, this is Bailey's condition, this is what it looks like. No, we can't come out today because that might provoke a storm that in Bailey could last three months. Yeah, Some other people may only last three hours. And I say may only, those are, they're not any better or what. It's just a different reality that people have to live with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: But that's tough. That's, for you guys living in it, your world must have become, as you said, the lockdown and the pandemic is a good analogy because our worlds became very, very small for most people. Yeah. But actually people in our community, that is quite a lived reality yeah absolutely well,
2: we we found 2019 to where we are today in 2022 we've actually seen that as a transition period really nothing that's no different so for most people it was like I'm locked in my house we felt like that for years yeah. so actually we stayed indoors to protect baby but in actual fact our life was already semi like that anyway so there was almost like a semi seamless transition yeah. to it that actually it didn't really Feel much different for us, yeah. and you are right. that The average Joe on the high street, I reckon, if you probably asked a thousand people what dystonia was, and they probably wouldn't be able to tell you. No. If you probably asked ten thousand people, they probably wouldn't be able to tell you.
0: Tystonia affects a lowball number of 100,000 people in the UK. It's the third biggest movement disorder and no one knows what it is. It's like the UK's biggest kept secret in some ways. Yeah. And we are doing our very best to change that. We've got this podcast will be coming out in Awareness Month. We've got buildings lighting up green. We've got people doing runs ryan's doing a run for us in the mm-hmm. great north run thank you very much in fact thank the whole great north team there's animation on dbs interestingly enough we'll be we'll be launching there's lots of stuff that goes on during awareness month and we're trying to make a big splash but it's like running uphill in sand it's little bits and we will as an organization we will keep trying as a community we will all keep trying but it's getting that awareness out there so that the community can deal with the condition but not necessarily have to deal with the exhaustion of having to explain constantly what's going on yeah but I was going to ask did people during lockdown did anyone say to you now I understand what you've been going through in some small way. Did they make that connection? No. That's interesting. Not at all.
2: Probably because of the reason what I've described, and that is, for us, it just was a transition of,
1: yeah.
2: you know, it, I guess, one for a better phrase, just same old. We're, we're indoors. That's, it's
0: not unusual. That's just what,
2: just what life is. Our world is home.
0: But must have been tricky because if 2019 so you started talking about dbs was that when you had the surgery was that 2019 so covid sadly covid is our friend COVID is our friend but it did
1: slightly prolong the operation but Bailey actually had his dbs surgery in october uh 21 okay
2: in between uh, in between, in between <laughs> the lockdowns okay and a lot of what had been set up was all by zoom Face time.
0: Yeah.
2: Obviously we couldn't go to hospitals because they were restricting. So we're now entering into a world where let's be honest, we're having my son's having brain surgery and we're doing this in the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of a pandemic, and we're doing this remotely by by, Mm.
1: Yes, wow.
2: That's how we was all in. It was our chips are in and Yeah. It's a bit like that around like a gambling table. Yeah. Yeah. We're all in on this. We're not
0: well as you say, you'd been through years of sitting on pins and needles not knowing quite what to do next and then you've made this monumental decision and then the world implodes that no one saw coming and but you're still on this you're still on this course of this is what we want to happen so you had the op in October 2020 uh we're now obviously in 2022 Talk to me about those days not long after the op, because with DBS, you don't always see results immediately. It takes a lot of fine tuning of the system to get there. But how was it? How did Bailey go in the operation? How was the experience for you?
2: He smashed it out of the park. He
0: absolutely he was, showed he, us.
2: He literally, <laughs> we did basically, we protected him to the nth degree. We literally did not go out of this house for the period of end of March, the way through to October. Girls had no education other than being um, homeschooled. homeschooled. Jen was homeschooling. I was trying to work from home whilst just coming around with food, because obviously all our neighbors know our home life anyway. So they were doing that, but also knowing at that time, we didn't know that the surgery was gonna come up or a window of the surgery was gonna come up that that quickly. Uh, yeah he he did amazing so he just took it in his stride and within as soon as he came out of recovery he was in the recovery room with jem sitting there watching paw patrol on the tv and,
1: and normally I mean, bailey just... uh, it really doesn't cope with an anesthetic it will set him into a state of dystonia because yeah. of the anesthetic it's so we'd set ourselves up for this most horrific recovery and uh, yeah so when that he'd been in surgery I Oh, I, was quite, I can't remember how long we've been. It was about six, eight, seven hours. Six, seven hours. Yeah. And I went down to him and, he, yeah, it's incredible. Sitting there watching Paw Patrols, just my jaw dropped to the floor. It's just incredible. Yeah. And we were expecting to be in with Bailey whenever he has a surgery. It's never, if they say it's going to be in five days, it's never going to be five days. It's going to be weeks because of the dystonia. But actually we were home within five or six days. Was mm. it six days mm. we were home? And this DBS surgery is the best thing we have ever done for him mm. um yeah, it's been a huge and um, he's had the odd dystonia flurry as i would call it we've had no admissions for dystonia since he's had no dystonic crisis episodes it was a bit of a funny time because obviously we were in lockdown as well so he wasn't at school or, or going into any environments where he might catch a bug or what have you but now we can safely say he has Put the DBS to the test because he's had tonsillitis and he actually did get COVID earlier on this year. Um, no dystonia at all. So for Bailey, in a way, almost has been a cure because the small episodes—that's fine. You yeah, know, and we can, you know, those. just no your, your tremors here yeah. and there is far. But we've we'll take, we wood. we take we take that, don't in we? to this point, we've had no hospital admissions since surgery for dystonia which obviously we weren't expecting. There was one occasion where he had major spine surgery this year in January to correct scoliosis. He did have dystonia then, but we were in hospital anyway. And it did get not as bad as the crisis situations we've been in in the past, but he was quite dystonic. Yeah, heading that way, yeah. But he, we got him through that within a couple of weeks yeah. and he was home. But that we really expected because he had major spine surgery, but he's had, we've put it to the test with having tonsillitis and COVID itself and yeah, no dystonia at all. So for us, for Bailey, it's been a huge success for him.
2: Going back a step, you said earlier about what was the plan. The plan was at the time when we had the, when we was discussing the DBS, they did a scan of his spine and they realised that his spine was 89% curved.
1: Degrees, yeah.
2: And, yeah, and it was like an S-bend. And the plan was that the Evelina, right, we'll we'll do the DBS first. Hopefully then the DBS will then help and assist with the dystonia and him coping through the next phase of the surgery. So October 2020, DBS. And then January this year, he had major spinal surgery and he was in hospital for what, a couple of months but so yeah that was always the plan DBS first and then that would then help him get through the spinal surgery so yeah two major operations in the space of two years. two years
0: so what does day-to-day look like for you guys now are you able to go out are you able to plan things as a family Yeah, Yeah, a bit better. We've done two weddings, which he would
1: never have coped with before. He was a page boy last year. This year we had another wedding, which was a very small wedding, to be fair. But even last year's wedding, we would never have been able to do it. We wouldn't have even attempted it. We have actually had a holiday this year. Fantastic. Yeah, so he's, Mm -hmm. he's definitely changed a lot for us yeah
2: he's out we still have to think but that's because of other reasons now with two titanium rods in his back we can't carry him and lift him no more so we have to think about we need hoist- changing
1: we places need, we need
2: a changing places bench where they've got hoisting equipment and stuff like that that we can utilize and use everywhere we go and stuff which you know so I guess where we go is probably just short distances park around the corner perhaps go out for a couple of three hours to somewhere and then come back so yeah life we've got a a quality of life and his quality of life and for the girls as well it is so much different to where it was a few years ago for sure
1: actually be able to plan something yeah we've never been able to plan to go somewhere or, or do something through fear of, yeah. God, I don't know. And
2: less on less on eggshells on a day-to-day. We're always mindful. It's always there. It doesn't go away. It's always in the back of your mind. But you always know that kind of the DBS is there to do its job, and it's been proven that it's done its job. So it's almost now you do think about it, but it's not in the forefront anymore.
1: No. There's always that what if, and it still could happen because it isn't a cure. So it still could happen, but hopefully we are at that stage where it isn't going to happen like that again. So, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it has been a life changer for him as well. It must Mm. be so much nicer for him to be able to enjoy himself as well.
0: Yeah. It's about quality of life, isn't it? And being able to, to, as you say, just being able to plan to go to the park rather than having to, you mentioned medications as a space out. Do you guys, you mentioned administer them at two or 4. AM is that you guys have to be up and administering or is yeah. there a. Seven days wow. a week. Yeah. So he's got a peg and yes. Yeah.
1: We have to, yeah, get up to do that. He doesn't actually sleep particularly well. So he starts his day anytime from 1 AM onwards most days it's between 1am and about half two in the morning
2: which is a uh, which is I think some of the side effects to all the medication
0: because it, mm. it
2: gives you insomnia so yeah in one way it's balancing mm. out keeping him on a, on a keeping him flat and keeping him on a flat level whilst it does have its side effects of lack of sleep so he catnaps throughout the day and that's his way of dealing with it
0: and do you guys have to stay up with him is he able to does he amuse himself for the hours that he's awake and you guys actually get some sleep or is it he's up at one you're up at one yeah he's
1: up we're up really
2: he's up you're up
1: but yeah i'm
2: comatosed (laughs)
1: but but ryan has to go to work so i don't have to get up and go into an office every day i don't work obviously because i don't think anyone would ever employ me (laughs) because of obviously having to drop everything at any time for Bailey so um I I get up with him and he's quite happy to watch his iPad or watch the telly but there's always something that he wants so I do actually have a bed in his bedroom that I just chill out on but yeah, I'm used to the lack of sleep. I, I can't sleep all night now. It makes me feel dreadful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's okay. I don't mind it. But we do have a carer, a lady's PA. She, she comes every day after school and she does one night a week for us as well. We do get a bit of uh, help and let up now as well, which is nice. So...
0: That's good. And you mentioned spacing out the medications. Are there plans to try and do that even further? Are you testing the boundaries at all? We are in a little bit of a situation at the minute.
1: So, sadly, Bailey had an epileptic seizure after his spinal surgery. And we think he actually had a few now. But because because some of the drugs that he's on have anti-epilepsy in them at the minute, because he's not seizuring all the time we don't want to rock the boat and reduce medications in case now epilepsy now starts getting to him. So at the minute, he's we, just had an EEG, which we're waiting for results for now. But because epilepsy is also another common side of his overall condition of the GNA-01, the doctors weren't surprised that maybe he might be on the epilepsy side now as well. So at the minute, we're just sitting tight because we don't want to reduce things that might now affect something else otherwise yeah. we would have we reduced a little bit but he's still on very high doses of, of a lot of medication i think it's they're
2: really also good. fearful as well that any sort of significant reduction it could then start to rot, right rot the boat
0: but it sounds like a whole different world from where you were just two three years ago could you have envisioned when you were in that that this is this was a possibility that you would have this life now
1: no, I think at the time you just it's very difficult to see beyond it, isn't it? Yeah. I and, and for it to be that successful for him, we never imagined mm. it be how it is at the minute. So it's really nice.
2: To go from being in mourning and an emotional wreck for weeks on end to all of a sudden now three years down the track, you just wouldn't you wouldn't put that in the same sentence, really. I mean that that feeling of you know. I mean, there was always a build-up between two thousand twelve to uh, two thousand and nineteen, but nothing. We we came very close, but actually, the two thousand and nineteen sort of, you know, that was the that was the tipping point. Um, I guess that was how old was he? Two thousand nineteen. So it would have been, yeah. So he was sort of, you know, as a as a young lad, he was going through the change, which again. You know, for a lot of people, sometimes going through that change when you're 11 and 12 up to the age of 15, that can have, you know, we was always advised by consultants and stuff that can also, that change. hormonal change can trigger things and it can go in one way or the other. You either, either goes in one way where it suppresses everything and you think, oh, that's now changed or it goes down a completely different path. Unfortunately for us, it went down the wrong path, as opposed to the better path, to where we are now—it's quite incredible, really. Three years on, but no, we would yeah. never.
1: I think 2019 will always be seen as a horrific year, but actually, a year that really turned the corner. Because if it wasn't for that,
0: we wouldn't be where we are now. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Again, That's if I say things happen for a reason, don't they?
0: Indeed. I'm really pleased to hear though that he's. Yeah. Obviously, Ryan, you and I have spoken periodically throughout the last couple of years, and it, I think for us we watch our community grow and we watch certainly our young ones grow up in it and it's always lovely to hear that they're doing better and it just it sounds like bailey has some quality of life now and that for a period he really had a lesser quality of life so i'm really pleased to hear we always ask on the podcast why does dystonia matter why do you think dystonia should matter
2: that is a really hard question. I would actually say that I think it matters because the wider community need to understand and know more. I think it matters for that reason that I think there needs to be more understanding and more awareness and probably as well socially accepted and in the knowledge of, of knowing what it is about.
1: I think um, the stone is very misunderstood people just don't realise
0: what it actually is and yeah. what it means and it's getting that word out there so it's understood. I think that's the challenge, isn't it? It's about educating. First, we need to educate people on dystonia as a condition. Yes. And once we've got that that awareness in the public consciousness, then we can educate on the different types and the effects that they then bring. It's been amazing having you guys on. Thank you so, so much. And for the listeners, it's always interesting hearing different points of view. And obviously, Bailey can't speak for himself so you are his voice to the outside world so thank you very much thank you thank you so much for listening to the dystonia matters podcast we hope you found today's episode helpful And if you would like to know more about dystonia uk you can check out our website at www.dystonia.org.uk where you can find lots of useful information webinars animation ways you can get involved and much much more all our guests agree that dystonia matters so we need to keep raising as much awareness as possible you can help us by liking subscribing and sharing this podcast and following us on all social medias at dystonia uk we are here for everyone living with dystonia you are not alone i'm your host dana ferdinandi and thank you once again for listening